and welcome. You're listening to Diversity Matters, a podcast about raising awareness and education through thought-provoking discussion, opinions, experiences, and inspirational stories from the complex world of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Now, please welcome your host, Mike Seeley. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diversity Matters podcast show. My guest this week is Samira Khan. Sam is a driven and energetic talent acquisition leader and DNI champion, having worked for several well-known corporate companies and is currently the senior recruiter at CDW, a global provider of technology products and services for business, government and education. She is also a talented footballer and recently played for Cambridge United Women's Football Club as a striker, which is typically the number nine position. She also played in the United States on a two-year scholarship at Tennessee Wesleyan University while studying sociology. Sam is also a proud mother to eight-year-old Uzair, who himself is a budding footballer. Sam, welcome to Diversity Matters. Thanks for having me, Mike. That's great. Can we actually start by asking you where you grew up a little bit about your early your early life yeah of course so humble beginnings as always was Luton so my mum and dad um, emigrated from Kashmir and Pakistan dad came over first and then with that it was mum coming over with my eldest brother who was born in in Kashmir so they came over um, in the 80s in essence and then we were looking at London and then mum and dad chose Luton because of, of course, the community and my uncle actually living here with his family. So they situated here a couple of years before. So yeah, that's basically where I grew up. I'm one of five. So second youngest is what I like to say. I didn't get the youngest tag, unfortunately. Um, So yeah, I've got two brothers, one elder, one younger, and then two older sisters. And yeah, basically a normal working class family trying to make ends meet in the UK. That was basically my upbringing in a nutshell. Excellent. And what about school? What was school like for you in the early days? School was was very, very different for me because I didn't speak a word of English when I was like six or seven years old, in essence. So I went to school called Icknild, which was close to my mum's house. And yeah, like for me to learn English, I actually made friends with two deaf boys at school at that time. And for me to learn, I used to go into the hearing impaired department and sign language helped me speak English. Like my teachers would say oh, wow. to me, we know you're smart. We know that you you understand us, but you just can't speak. And I think it got to a point where they also mentioned in passing that I might need to be held a year back because they weren't confident that I was going to be able to speak. <laughs> but then the guys through sign language and stuff I picked it up really quick and then I was able to fluently now speak English in essence so yeah it was it was a struggle because of course didn't have the means of understanding what they were saying I had two older sisters and then of course an older brother but they were so busy in their own life and I was going through my stuff so that that was that in a nutshell as well interesting and it's interesting the way you learn to communicate do you do you still use sign language yeah can you still use it yeah of course well you know, with sign language, it's evolved a lot since I was doing it at the age of, you know, six, seven. So, you know, to keep up to speeds with it, I still know like the basics in respects of it. And even little dude, when he learns certain things at school, because they do do a certain bit of the curricula to towards that and to facilitate like videos on YouTube that he watches, I keep up with it. Um, I haven't practiced it 
actively as much as what I would like. But then, of course, my whole thing was to communicate with people that I was close to in terms of friendship groups. And as we've grown older, they've gone into their own lives respectfully and I've gone into my own. Um, I've lost the whole piece of being able to do it as frequently as what I what I used to but it's definitely embedded in there I still can you know communicate the way that I need to but in terms of a master class I may need one of those quite soon to be able to get back to speed. Excellent just a little bit on your background you are from uh, Pakistan heritage you're um, a Muslim <laughs> tell me how you got into playing football that's the introverted side of me which people are going to be listening to this and say she's an introvert don't think so I am um don't let this deceive you in essence so where it came from my older brother was massive in that journey of mine because he was quite convinced that mum and dad were not going to have another child and even though there's only two years between me and my younger brother he was on it with me he was like right this is the one I'm going to make into a professional football player this is what's going to happen so early days all I remember is that we had a massive massive garden at mum's house that we still own now so where I'm speaking from today actually mum and dad have since had an extension and made the garden relatively smaller still huge and we had like a garage outside and he would just get a ball and get me to kick left foot right foot left foot right foot I just fell in love with football and um as me and you've spoken in passing when I was younger Brazilian Ronaldo and Ruud van Nistelrooy were two massive players at that time mm -hmm. and I grew up watching them and I just thought, this is absolutely fantastic. So then I used to be that kid at school that would take a football and have everybody at lunchtime play. Like I didn't have I didn't have dinner uh, at school. So school dinners were not a thing for me, in essence. And then I think it got to a point where my son's current head of PE, Mr. Bartlett, made a girls football team. And I went into it. And I was captain, done yeah. really well there. Um, and it was a talent and I was between football and cricket at the time Mike so I just didn't know which mm -hmm. one I wanted to do more so because cricket was naturally nationality wise not trying to you know make it out to be something that it's not but that's where we have a lot more representation yeah. in terms of athletes in terms of when it yeah. comes to cricket football it's like South Asians back then in the late 90s it wasn't really a thing to be honest yeah. And women's football definitely wasn't as prolific. And then, then came the Arsenal Centre of Excellence, got into that, done that for the time that we had it in terms of partnership. And then I knew it was football I wanted to do. So my sisters got me into a local team called St. Martins. Um, I was top goal scorer for like five or six years, in essence. I lost it one year, which was really difficult for me to take because, <laughs> yeah, I cried about that one. Um, and then I got the scholarship to, to the States and that was me in terms of trajectory, the only thing that I would state was my last team that I've played for, as in this season, was Actonians. So I did play for Cambridge two and a half seasons ago, and then I went to Actonians more recently. So mm. they finished third. Well, we finished third. I've left that club now, but um, we finished third in the National League. So done really well there. So that was that was a lot of fun as well, in essence. A pretty good standard of football. At, yeah. Uh, that, that you played are you still playing today I am I am so as I've mentioned like you know Cambridge was a team that I was with wow um that's when I went back to the highest standard of English football that I played because of course I went to the States played the highest level possible came back settled down had little one and then kind of just played eastern region level went to Cambridge and then I went to Actonia so I had two seasons at Actonia's Almost. We had a, a moved mid-season. Um, so I was playing for them. We finished the highest we've ever finished for that club. So we finished third in the league, which was absolutely phenomenal 
in essence. Yeah. But since then, I've left. Um, I've been to a couple of trials, a couple of teams that I'm looking at. And Mike, actually, since we last spoke, I got contacted again by the Pakistan Federation to represent them internationally. So I am oh, wow. fit. At the minute, I've got a bleak curse to do this weekend, so pray for me. And basically, yeah, I'm still playing at a good level right now as it stands. That's fantastic. I wish you every success with that. But tell me, while you've been playing football, you also have a career as well. How did you get into becoming a talent acquisition and recruitment? It's what every recruiter says. I fell into it. And generally speaking, <laughs> I fell into it. Do you like yeah. the inverted commas that you can see that nobody else is going to see when <laughs> going out? Um, basically, I was working for Santander when I came back to the UK. Uh, I was in personal banking. And Mike, I just didn't see the trajectory in the career. I just was like, look, mm. I know that I could get a CMAP. I know I can do mortgage. And that probably would have been a lot of fun, to be completely honest with you. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing now. But... I went in and I was like, right, I want a career trajectory. And at that time, I met my then director and then my direct manager. And they were just, at the time, struck me as people that were really motivated, super inspiring to me because they were successful and still quite young, in essence. And, you know, they took a chance on me. I didn't have any previous recruitment experience. And I ended up being top biller for the division for three and a half years consecutively. So I think that also comes into this whole bit of I'm always in competition with myself with it mm -hmm. so recruitment gave me that platform to be able to be Sam but then also be like a diamond in the rough that had the opportunity to develop and I got to do so much cool stuff in terms of recruitment I was very fortunate with the types of accounts that I was working with with the level of stakeholder management I got to learn but then it was time Mike for me to go in-house I really wanted to see how my hiring affects the business and I'm sure that you probably remember when Homebase were going through the CBA at the time and they'd laid off a lot of staff I went in and the team went down from 11 to 2 and you would imagine like I had like 11 functions to take care of at that time and trust me still to this day aside from my counterpart at the time Trudy I'm not sure how I managed it to be completely honest because now I look back on it yeah. like that was 11 functions worth of recruitment I was doing the full 360 whilst also trying to report data weekly so really got into that and then moved on to Informa where I met you that was when Simon found my application took me through a process and yeah I just needed a manager that was just going to refine what I kind of self-taught at within my page what I learned at home base as you know a depleted recruiter in essence with resources and it was a case of like stakeholder management and really in essence the geography now because it was like I want to do a wider scope so went into that um, and got involved with quite a few cool projects and Mike that's where the DNI stuff came out and when me and you first connected mm -hmm. and of course that was when the BLM movement was really yeah. big at the time and for me for the first time in my life was trying to navigate and understand a situation that I could sympathize with but not fully empathize and that was a big learn for me because I was at the time probably 25, 26, young mum, probably concerned about other facets in life. And then that situation had happened. And I think you would have remembered it was a town hall that we had at Informa when yeah. a colleague in America spoke. And trust me, I tried to say that I'm not an emotional person. I am, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> I will watch something and it will get to my heart issues. I'm like, why is this making me sad? It's making me sad. Uh, and I remember her speaking about how she felt, what the situation was, why she's so scared. And I swear, like, you know, 
the tears just rolled down because I was just like, you would never know how bad it is until you are able to say I could put myself in your shoes, right? And that was a massive turning point for me when it came to DNI because before for me, DNI, frankly speaking, was a massive lip service and everything everyone done. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like that was a game changer. Well, for me anyway, maybe for others it was different, but for me, BLM at the time of life where I was, was massive. And I was just like, no, I need to make a conscious change. I need to think about how we're approaching this. What are we doing as an organization? But then also at the same time, how do those that are affected by the situation know? that we're the type of company that would back you 110%. And I wanted to make sure that that was articulated. But then also further to that point was, how are my people feeling? And I used to take it quite personally. It was like, how are my people Mm. feeling here? And I remember connecting with you. And I just remember just being vividly vulnerable and honest and just saying, hey, listen, there's certain things I know, there's certain things I don't know. And I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to make myself like understand this. And then I remember just speaking to you and that just completely changing how I approached it going forward. Like, I think, you know, if you've always got truth behind what you're trying to achieve, you're always going to do well, right? But there's one thing having truth, but then there's one thing having knowledge. If you have the both, it's just power in itself. So I wanted to obtain that after speaking with you, a couple of people internationally as well. And that's when we done the LinkedIn Life page. And I got involved in so many cool things. I remember getting a testimonial from you as well. It's absolutely superb. I think it's probably still up there. I haven't checked. We then done PSLs. We've done a lot of things. So informer markets for me, like when we said about football, what was the pinnacle of your career? Informer markets was probably the pinnacle of mine within in-house recruitment because of the fact that the foundation was set at Michael Page. Homebase was like a massive learn. And then informer markets gave me the international governance the confidence in terms of stakeholder management, but then also diversity and inclusion at the heartbeat of that. And then you get involved in strategy, you get involved in international and then the different walks of life. It was superb. You used to go and just Mm -hmm. walk on the 15th, 16th floors and the diversity across the teams was huge. Come on, this is a business of residence event provider. How much diversity do you think that there would be? And I think we challenge the status quo at that time again i don't know what it's like now because of course i've moved on it's been wow it's been a very long time since i've been at that business about three three and a bit years where did the time go where did the time go and then of course i went (laughs) into deliveroo and that was going from business to business to business to consumer cool young brand you know ipo'd and i think i again when i look back on my time at deliveroo i Went for the right reasons in terms of moving to them as a business, challenging myself, things slowed down at Informa. I wanted to progress with my career. But it's like things in life that are there for a certain period. Delivery was there for a certain period. I was taught so much about data analytics, which was a massive big thing that I wanted to learn. Um, I was able to launch Delivery Hop in France and Italy and recruit those people, headhunting, doing a completely different role. But then my role changed. And like anything, sometimes something that's so good at start then Mm. transcends into something else. And there's never any disrespect intended. It wasn't where I needed to be after 10 months. You know, it wasn't the right structure for me to get to the next level where I needed to be within my career with the experience that I had and the implementation that I'd achieved before in the international governance. And then my role became a box to box. This is what you're doing. And for me, I'm always the type of person that's learning. Like I said to you, even in 25 years of football, I can still learn. In eight and a half years of talent acquisition, 
I'm not the finished article, far from it. So it got to that point where I had to make a call. But funnily enough, a lot of things that people don't understand is I had really a hard time mentally. Um, football wasn't in the right place either. And for the first time, I probably doubted myself in the last decade. And I had to look at myself again. Um, I came out of that role for reasons that I don't really want to divulge because I don't want it to come across as I've said one thing. And it's disrespectful because it's not, it never would be for me. It just was not the right place for me. And I think all of that culminated with what was going on with my personal life. And then I had a job offer and that got rescinded. So I had to, for the first time in my whole 31 years of life, go back and ask for something, ask for help. I've never done that before. Only to my good Lord have I ever asked for help. And I had to do that. That to me, humbled me massively because for the first time, I spoke my truth out loud as rather than just within, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, it didn't work out, you know, be all and end all. They were then downsizing. They've then since post that had redundancies since I took on my new job. And then again, came into CDW, business to business, reseller, global number one, 28 billion revenue company. We're having all of the situations in the economy for what we are, but by God's grace, again, like, you know, I've come into a role and I met Jared, who's now since moved on from the business, who was critical in my decision-making. You know, at that time, I was very fortunate. I had four or five offers on the table, really humbled, but I knew in my heart of hearts what I wanted and I was waiting for CDW. And, you know, now in a senior recruiter role, which is where I pictured myself being at the time that I was at delivery with the amount of experience that I had. And fortuitous on that regard that I got the data analytics from the time at delivery that now is really helpful within the role that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. So hindsight's a wonderful thing. Absolutely loving it. You know, it's needing a complete overhaul. And we're, like I say to everybody in the business, Rain wasn't built in two days. So give us some time, we'll get, get there. <laughs> but I'm still doing an international role governance of Australia and Singapore, getting involved with a lot of things. And it's just a really good place to be, you know, in essence. So the team's good. We're growing, you know, we're of course dealing with the tides of what's going on right now within the economy and Mm -hmm. stuff, but you know, be all and end all is it's the right place for me to be. And I can see myself here long-term. So I'm hoping that when I listen back to this, I was right. We'll see what happens. (laughs) But yeah, that's basically talent acquisition. That's really good. Now, tell me, obviously, with your career and your football and, of course, your son, how do you balance your life? You know, how do you make sure that you're not too carried away with with work? Um, you know, t- talk me through through how you manage. Again, I think it comes down to what I was doing with football before. And, you know, my little dude... Let me just put it out there. I haven't spoken about him much, but this is probably where the emotion will come out, is the absolute love of my life. Nothing comes above him. Nothing ever will, right? Be all and end all is, I think, the day that you become a parent, you really do understand what unconditional love is. Now I understand why my mum was always hard on me when I was away in America, even though it's her decision. (laughs) I now understand it. Um, But I'm very blessed that God gave me the opportunity to be his mum and... I think what I'm really, really fortunate about is that I've got a fantastic support 
network around me, but I never mm-hmm. go into that whole thing of I need you for everything. I've always cemented yeah. that within myself. So to get the balance right, it's probably aligned to my star sign. I am a Libra, so the balance is always critical. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that with work, for example, like, you know, I get up, I check my emails, he's sleeping, he'll get up, breakfast is ready, clothes are ready. We're quite militant on that in respects of it. Monday through to Friday, we have to be because he's then got Arabic, he's then got football, I've got football. Um, his dad's very involved in his life, which is fantastic as well. So I have to take my hat off because he does really support him as well. Even though we've, of course, that was what I was referring to in terms of personal life, even though we've separated, his dad does get involved with his stuff. So he takes him to a football. I then go to a football on Thursday. So then there are days where, like Michael, I was thinking about the other day, I haven't spent enough time with him. Right. And I do get that sometimes because I'm working that my time with him is getting him from A to B. It's about his education. It's about his football. It's about his religion. It's about his, all of that. Where is the fun time? So I make sure I do these little things. I've shown you on my camera, but they'll hear my voice. You can see that there's a goal (laughs) on the floor. I've promised him that I'm going to train him in the summer. So he goes to football on Thursdays and Saturdays, Saturday mornings. I'm with him. We have a really nice breakfast. We listen to music. We sing along. And I, I just sit there and watch him play football, right? I'm not the type of parent that's yelling. I'm just watching because I can see his smile, Mike. Mm. And just seeing him play and seeing the love for it. And trust me, by the way, I never forced him into football. He was doing karate before, okay? And he came and watched <laughs> me play for Cambridge. And he's like, I want to be like my mama. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and he saw the trophies and stuff. And like, he's naturally gone towards it. So it's never been a force for me. And even if he says tomorrow, mama, I want to quit, that's fine. Just find something that gives you something away from being on the phone, being on social media and that kind of stuff. That's what I've said to him. I just want you just to be away and do things that are good for your health. And he's always had that, but now he's convinced that he wants to go down the same route as me. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, I think there's there's always going to be parent guilt, Mike. You're going to know that as well as a parent yourself, right? You want to give the kids the world, but they also understand. And I think what we're kind of lucky with now that kids grow up a little bit quicker, so they know what's going on. They they have a sense of he is self-sufficient. I've made sure he's self-sufficient at eight. He will go and put his clothes away right he will know where the food is like i'm going to be teaching him how to use a microwave quite soon so he can just put it in and it's done he knows that he needs to do his homework and he'll get it done he knows here's a bathroom that's what i need to do i'm going to make sure it's clean like i know it sounds really stupid but i've always made my life around me as disciplined and as militant as i possibly can because it helps me in the end but what i'm always mindful of is the parent guilt are we giving them enough time? Are we doing the fun things with them? Are we too much? You know, because there's times when you've had a long day at work and like the last thing you want to do is go out to the park. You know, the last thing that you want to do is go and do a walk. But then you have to get that balance right so that they understand as well as adults that there's going to be days where they're going to have completely no energy to do anything. And that's also okay. And that's what I've instilled in him is that he he understands that. But then also I within my own sense, think to myself, right, okay, I know this week is going to be a complete write-off because we're both going to be busy, but he's going to have this time to do this this week. I'm going to have time to do this this week. This weekend, we're doing something. And this weekend, we're going and doing football on Saturday during the day. And then Sunday, I'm taking him to the women's game in London, in Wembley. So we do do those kind of things, but I don't think we would ever get the balance 100% spot on because I don't think that's, that's achievable. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm, great at that that's one thing that i'm absolutely trying to get better at 
but that constant communication helps really yeah so yeah that sounds amazing it sounds amazing it sounds like you found the right the right balance for you and also for your son Mm -hmm. sounds like the discipline will most certainly help him through life Mm -hmm. going forward it's the same you know with my son we made him learn how to wash and iron his clothes learn how to cook cook meals yeah and I just think that he'll benefit from that, mm-hmm. you know, in the next in the next few years. So now that's absolutely amazing. Sam, look, we're coming to the end of the show. Mm-hmm. This has been absolutely fascinating. Just listening to your career, your experiences, everything that you've been through is is incredible. If you could go back and speak to your younger <sighs> self, what advice would you give? Oh. See, I think, you know, when I used to hear that question, I used to hear it as, that's a regret. What would I do differently? But now as I've gotten older, I've realized that hindsight is a wonderful thing. I would tell myself that, listen, how you keep doubt in your heart is a very good thing because it keeps your feet on the ground. Don't ever change that. But, and maybe through faith, and maybe that's what's getting me through, through life at the minute is, things have a funny way of working out. And sometimes you cannot see it. In everything, there's a learn and in everything, there's a self-reflection. So not necessarily younger self. If I could speak to Sam when I was younger, I would probably tell her that I'm proud of you more than I ever allowed myself to say that to myself because I never gave myself that credit. And I think that's what probably was a big thing for me because my parents didn't come and watch my football or anything like that. Like, I think as I've gotten older, my parents have always seen me as this, I wouldn't, I probably is a bit of a golden child, like somebody that can just get it done, gets on with it and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I wish I would take the time back then to be proud of how far I'd come because I think I see it as, well, I had no other option. Well, yeah, absolutely. I had no other option to be able to get there, but it's what I tell my son to be doing. So maybe... It's never going to be the way that I see it for myself. But when I see it to my son and he's had a good game at football or he's had a bad moment, live in it for what it is right now and stop looking at 10 years in advance because there's no guarantee on that. And that's what I say to him. We sit in the car, we debrief after football, after school and this kind of stuff. And I can see that he's hard on himself the way that I was. But what I'm able to do with him is turn around and say, can you see on this way? Can you see this perspective? Mm -hmm. Because I've lived that life. People have to remember, my mum and dad did not live the life that I lived. My brothers and sisters haven't. And there's not many people in the world that have lived the life that I have in terms of culturally background and that kind of stuff. So it's a case of pause, breathe, and be proud of what you've achieved because it's not the case of, yeah, get arrogant or anything like that, nothing like that. It humbles you even further and it makes you more and more hungry to go after it because for me it was always okay what's next (laughs) what can I do next well where can I push it I think sometimes you just have to sit in the this is where I'm at phase this is what is realistic this is what I want after but let me deal with this first before I get there and I think Mike since I hit 30 I've become more like that and it's probably life experience right I've become more like that because it's like okay chill it's not a sprint it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that is basically quite a few number of things. But I think the, the main core is just pause and be thankful and be proud 
of what you've done so far because the definition of success doesn't come from others. It comes from within. And I think that's what I would tell myself, you know, in essence. That's great. Well, I think you have certainly a lot to be proud of. You've achieved a lot. And I honestly believe there is a lot more to come from you. So I, I want to say thank you so much for joining me on, on the show. And I wish you and your son every success in the future. Thanks very much. Mike, it's been my absolute honour. So best regards to the family. May God always bless you. And we will definitely catch up in person, get a coffee and have a good little chin wag. And may everything always, always be the way that you want it to as well. You too, boss. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diversity Matters. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to hit like and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.